Oh, we're glad to have you here today. Very, very glad. Cindy's mom decided to take some of her grandchildren to the movies just a couple weeks ago, and, and she asked Cindy if she'd go with her, you know, kind of just to help corral everything. So they went, and when, when they got there, mom paid, and then they got up to, to buy the snacks, and her mom decided she'd just buy two large, you know, the big large buckets of popcorn. So she said, I just take two of the large, and the lady said, that'll be $19. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, what? <laughs> and the lady said, $19. And she said, the last time I went to the movies, popcorn was 15 cents. <laughs> <laughs> and the young lady behind the counter said, well, ma'am, you're going to really enjoy today because movies have sound now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, times change. Times change, but God doesn't change, does he? God does not change, nor does his word. The Bible is filled with timeless truths, and he wants us to learn them today. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. Turn to the book of Jonah. It's buried back in the Old Testament. You know, find Psalms and Proverbs, and then find some of those other books, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and, and keep moving. And you get into a bunch of little books, and it's tucked in there. Most anybody who's been to church at all, maybe even if you haven't grown up in church, you know the story of Jonah. You know that the story of Jonah is about a guy who ran away from God. It says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. God told him to go to Nineveh and preach again, but Jonah didn't want to do that. He gets on this boat, and there's a terrible storm. Verse 4, the Lord sent a great storm, wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, and all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. They're not believers, these sailors. But they know the storm has something to do with God, and God has something to do with the storm. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep, and the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, and we will not perish. And the soldiers said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They sense that the storm is from God. Jonah... I'm not sure at this point senses it, but these unbelievers, they sense it. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah and they ask him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble? Where, what do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? And whose people are you connected to? And he said, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land and this terrified them. They were scared of the storm, but when he said, there's a God who made the sea, now that scared them. He said, I'm running from the God who made this place we live in. That terrified them. It actually says they were afraid a bunch. They were greatly afraid. And they said, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them that, and the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
and it'll become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. True. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. This is not a foxhole conversion. That would happen during the storm. The storm's done. The seas are calm. This the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now I kind of think they are believers. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Do you have your notes? Here we go. A lot of people aren't sure that they they believe this story. And I mean a lot of people. A lot of people are not sure they believe this story. But number one, we should never limit what God can do. We should never limit what God can do. If God can create the world, if God can create the world, and Exodus 20 says he did. says he did it in six days, yes. That's what he says. For in six days the Lord created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. If God can create the world, and he did, and raised Jesus from the dead, he did that too. If God can create the world and raise Jesus from the dead, which proves that he's the Son of God, that's what it says in Romans 1, 4, declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. If God can create the world in six days and raise Jesus from the dead, then God can make a fish to swallow Jonah. True? Which is greater, creating everything that exists or making a fish big enough to swallow Jonah? Which is bigger? Well, creating the world. If God can create everything that exists, then he can make a fish to swallow Jonah. He didn't have to do that, you know. He, he could have... He could have done many different things. He could have created a big turtle. Right when Jonah went in, this big turtle popped up, and Jonah could have hopped up on his back and sunbathed all the way in. That would have been a miracle, too. He could have sent a mermaid. (laughs) Say, I don't think so. It'd just be a miracle. He could have given Jonah supernatural swim strength to swim to shore. He could have sent a jet ski (laughs) with instructions. But he created a fish, and we should never limit what God can do. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't limit what God can do. (laughs) Don't limit. You say, what's that mean? Here we go. In your notes, pray big prayers. I want to start off today by reminding us we serve the God that created the world. He raised Jesus from the dead. He made a fish big enough to swallow Jonah. We've got to pray big prayers. So I'm asking you specifically, don't pass this off to your kids, to your husband, to your wife. What are you praying for right now today? What are you praying for right now today? What are you praying right now today that's so big only God can do it? Come on, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? You, 
What are you praying for? You yourself, what are you praying for that's so big only God could do it so that when he does do it, he gets all the glory? And if you don't have anything, if nothing's coming to mind right now, then you need to pray bigger prayers. If you're praying pruny prayers, it's because you think you got a puny God. But you don't have a puny God. you got a great big God who made the world, and we should never limit what God can do. Little freshman at college. Young girl, freshman, just a little thing. Goes into class, and the prof, as many profs in secular colleges do, kind of make it sport. He says, how many of you in this room believe the Bible? Nobody raises their hand. But this young freshman does. She raised her hand and she said, I do. And he said, so you believe Jonah swallowed, the fish swallowed Jonah? And she said, yes. And he laughed. What would the rest of the class do? They laughed too. What would she do? She turned red. He's a freshman. And she turned red. And he said, young lady, if you don't know this, whales are big, but they got tiny little mouths and they can't swallow a man. That's not true, by the way. But that's what a lot of people say. They cut open a whale, they found a 1,600-pound fish in it. That's bigger than most men. <laughs> Just saying. He said, whales are big, but they got little tiny mouths. They, they can't swallow a man. She said, I still believe it's true. I don't know how it happened. When I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And he said, what if Jonah's not there? She said, you ask him. <laughs> we should never, ever limit what God can do. Number two, we should fear God. You can't miss it in this chapter. It's part of the reason I took time to read the chapter. You cannot miss that the author is trying to say to us there's a reason to fear God. You see it in verse number 5. You see greatly feared in verse 10. You see it in verse 16. You cannot miss this, that the unbelievers fear God and the believer does not. We're supposed to fear God. Everybody in this room. I know there's a lot today about God is loving and he's good and he's kind and he's your friend. But we should fear God. Say, what, what, what do you mean fear him? Here we go. Number one, recognize his power and position. Recognize. He really did make this world in us. We ought to recognize it. Number two, we ought to respect his power and position. That means we ought to listen when God speaks. Jonah didn't do that, and it showed he didn't really fear God. He didn't really fear Him. But we should. We should recognize His power and position. We should respect His power and position, and we should respond to His power and position appropriately, which means we should obey. And Jonah didn't do that. He worshiped. I want to say this. By what we describe worship often, he went to church. Jonah was a prophet. 
that he didn't fear God. But we should. Here's one reason. Number three. Every sin, every sin that we commit has a storm attached to it. We, we shouldn't miss this in this story, but we get caught up in the fish and we miss every sin has a storm attached to it. You say, what do you mean? Well, I mean, number one, God never overlooks rebellion. Circle the word never. He never overlooks rebellion. And I think it's possible somebody in this room right, right now is saying, well, that's okay because I don't rebel against God. We have to be careful how we define that word. Rebellion is just saying no to God. Number one there, rebellion is just saying no to God. And we talked about this last week. I wanted to do that last week because I knew this week was coming. It's easy to know that God says stop complaining, but we still keep complaining, and that's called rebellion. It's easy to know that God says stop worrying, but we keep right on worrying. And that's called rebellion. It's easy to know that God says stop watching porn, but we keep watching porn. And that's rebellion. And God never, everyone say never, never overlooks rebellion. You say, well, I, I don't rebel. Rebellion is just saying no to God. When God says to forgive somebody, but we still hold the grudge, we still want nothing to do with them. That's rebellion. When God says we ought to love somebody, but, but we narrow our scope of love, we don't give our love out indiscriminately to anyone God puts in our path. We have some people we don't love. That's rebellion. When God says to give or God says to serve and we say no, that's, that's rebellion. Number two, rebellion's just disobedience. And God never overlooks it. In fact, He sends a storm. So what is a storm? Number two, a storm is just a difficult and destructive force. A storm is just a difficult and destructive force. Now, it could be a natural storm like happened in this story. Like a little hurricane, a tornado. It could be that kind of a storm. You say God sends those. He does sometimes send them for sin. It could be a financial storm where you lose your job, where you have this huge unexpected bill. It could be a relationship storm between you and your wife in your marriage or between some friend where some friendship is destroyed. It could be a physical health storm. It can be any crisis. But God never overlooks rebellion. And every sin has a storm attached to it. Now, Jonah, let's talk about Jonah specifically. Jonah's storm was personal and specific. It was one for one. He sinned, and God sent a specific storm. That happens sometimes. When there's some destructive thing going on in your life, some difficult and destructive thing going on in our lives, we ought to ask, God, is this because I've done something wrong and you're trying to tell me? We should ask that. That's what was going on with Jonah. But number two, the sailors, that's a different story. They were just caught in a broken or stormy world. 
it wasn't their specific sin that caused this storm. Actually, they were caught in Jonah's storm. Which is a good thing for us to remember that sometimes our storm, it, it topples on top of somebody else. It captures somebody else in the wake of our storm. The sailors hadn't done anything specifically wrong. They just lived in a stormy world and they got caught in somebody else's. But we need to remember, number three, every tragedy is a result of sin. I have to be careful right here. When I wrote this, Cindy questioned it. She types out my notes. She questioned it. She said, are you sure you want to say it this way? Yes, I do. Every tragedy is a result of sin. Every bad thing, every evil circumstance, every destructive thing that happens in our world is a result of sin. But they aren't all one-for-one results. You understand, God wanted this world perfect. He created it perfect. When he got done creating it, he said, this is very good. It's very good. There wasn't supposed to be storms and destructive forces. They happen because we live in a broken and stormy world. But I want to talk about Jonah's sin storm. That's the one I want us to focus on. I want us to focus on the the one-for-one here. Number three, sin storms are a law. When I say every sin has a storm, sin storms are a law, like the law of gravity. If, if I take this water bottle right here and I let go of it, what will happen? Will it go up? Anybody in this room believe it will go up? I should just throw it up right now. Yeah, some of you, you say, you could throw it up. If I just let go, it will, it will drop. It's a law. It's a law in this world. A law. It happens every time. Sin storms are a law. You sin, I sin, the storm will come. The Bible says it lots of different ways. In in Numbers, he said, if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure, circle that, you may be sure, your sin will find you out. Oh, yes. Here's why. Because you always reap what you always it's a law it's a law in this world we have to get this i put it in your notes so we'd all have to kind of fill it in together sin is inherently self-destructive it has a storm built into it you say yeah but in this book god sent a specific storm i know he did but storms always come There's always a destructive force attached to sin. Sin's inherently self-destructive. If you lie, if we lie, it will brand us as untrustworthy. And if you work and you lie repeatedly, what will your boss do? Well, he'll fire you. That will be the end storm. But the original destructive force is sin will brand you as lying will brand you as distrustful if you lie to your spouse and you keep lying to him what will happen well you'll destroy trust in your marriage that's the storm 
you'll destroy trust. Now the hurricane may hit and your spouse may leave you. But the storm, the destructive force, the fact that if you lie to your spouse, you will break trust, that's inherent to the sin. If you worry, you will create tension in your life. Sin is always destructive. Why do you think God tells us not to worry? Because he just wants to make our life difficult? Oh, let's see if I can come up with a really hard one. I I know the Hainers, they struggle with worry, so I'll make a rule that you can't worry. That'll just make the Hainers' life a nightmare. God's smiling up there because he thinks I can just really get him with this. That's not what God's doing. God tells us not to worry because worry creates tension and anxiety and high blood pressure and ulcers. Sin is inherently self-destructive. It always has a destructive force connected to it. Here's the problem, number four. We don't see it happen to us. Here's my problem when I was preaching this. When I was thinking about preaching this, I'm thinking, what's somebody going to be thinking out there? No. There's going to be a teen out here and he's fooling around with his girlfriend or fooling around with her boyfriend. Lying to his parents. Lying to her parents. And I'm talking about there's a sin storm and he thinks, she thinks, nothing's happening to me. I still made the team. Still got my car. Nothing's happening. An adult, worried, complaining, selfish, and they think, nothing's happening. God's not doing anything. Oh, yes, he is. God never overlooks rebellion. Ever. He always allows the destructive force of sin to come when we sin. Always. Always. Say, well, I don't see it happening. Here we go. In your notes. Why not? Number one, we're not paying attention. Jonah's asleep. He doesn't see that the storm's for him. He's in the storm, but he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get it that the storm's for him. Not paying attention. Number two, we don't make the connection that this stormy thing that's going on is for me. We don't ask God, are you trying to say something to me? Number three, often we don't see it until the tornado hits. Until the huge storm hits. Not all storms are huge like this one. Actually, they're more often like the effects of radiation. It's happening. We're just not seeing it. We don't see it until the huge thing comes, like, number one, we lose our job. Well, then we think, whoa, what's going on? We didn't see it while it was getting to that point. We don't see it until, number two, our spouse walks out. That's how come I can be talking to a couple, and I can warn them. Sometimes I'm talking to one of them, and I warn them, if you keep going, on the path you're going, this is going to blow up. A year later, they come back to me when their spouse has left, and they're so shocked. And they say to me, I don't know what I did. 
I said, you're doing this over and over, and your spouse is putting up with it, 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 and eventually they're not going to put up with it anymore. But we don't really see that the storm happens until they leave. We don't see the destructive force that's happening inside our marriage every day, every day, every day. It's still true. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. It's still true. David sinned, and his child got sick and died. You say, God doesn't do that. He did do that. You say, well, that's scary. I started this message out saying we should be afraid of God. Say, just because I do something wrong, God would never touch one of my children. David sinned, and God touched his child, and they died. And every parent in this room right now who's paying attention to God should be scared right now. For real. And if you aren't, something inside's not quite right. You say, God wouldn't do that. He does do that. And Ananias and Sapphira played around with God. So did Uzzah. And they died. You say, well, that's scary. We're supposed to fear God. Zechariah didn't believe God and he lost his voice. Adam and Eve didn't honor God and they lost their home. Jonah nearly drowned. He probably had scars the rest of his life from his time inside that fish. Saul, he sinned and lost his kingdom. Moses, he sinned and forfeited the promised land. Lost his position. You say, well, all those stories are kind of scary. Yes. And I'm trying to say to everyone in this room, myself included, we should fear God. Because God never overlooks rebellion. And there is a sin storm, a storm attached to every sin. There is one. It's real. Number, number four, God uses these storms to get our attention. He uses storms to get our attention when we won't, won't listen to his word. I want to remind you how this went down. God said to Jonah, go up to Nineveh, and Jonah said, no. God didn't come in a storm. He came in a simple message. He just talked to Jonah like he talks to us in here. The storms come when we ignore what God says or reject what God says. God sent the storm. He sent the captain to talk to him, sent the sailors to talk to him, and finally sent the fish to swallow him. And only then did he get his attention. Here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting we want to hear God quicker, much quicker. Say, what, what might God be trying to say? Here we go. Let's just click him off. He might be trying to say we're wrong. That is, he's trying to correct us. 
This difficult, destructive thing happens and God says, hey, you're wrong right now. Number two, he might be trying to say, we've run like the prodigal son. His storm was a famine and he ended up in a pig pen. And God was trying to turn him, trying to turn him. Number three, could be that we've stopped. We've stopped making progress in our Christian life and God's trying to move us, trying to challenge us to get going. Could be number four, we're stuck and God's trying to change us. David said, it's good for me to be afflicted because then I got into your word again. That's right. God does this sometimes just to get us just to get us going. Now let me end with some positives. Since some of you are saying, this hasn't been all that positive, Pastor McNeil. <laughs> I know it. Here we go. Number five, no matter how far we've run, we can always talk to God. It's this when we get to chapter two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed. I want to say, if you can pray to God from inside a fish, you can pray anywhere. You can pretty much pray anywhere. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he said, In my distress, I have called to the Lord, and he answered me. There could be somebody in this room this morning, and you're saying, My life's a mess. Okay, in my distress. Here's what you do. Talk to God. And you know why? Because he's always there. That's why. You, You can talk to God. You say, You don't understand how far I've gotten. I think I do. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, From the depths of the grave, it's actually the word sheol. From the depths of the grave, from the place of ultimate separation, it's even a place of divine punishment. That's why sometimes it's translated as hell. When you're as far away from God as you think you can possibly be, he's still there. David prayed this, right, in Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in sheol, in the depths, even there, I'm saying this morning, you can talk to God anywhere. We can talk to God anywhere. Here we go. Let's keep reading. Verse 3, You hurled me into the deep, Jonah prayed to God. He got it now. God did this. You hurled me into the deep. The soldiers didn't. The the sailors didn't do it. You did it. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Yick. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. There's a path of sin and it's always down. If you read this book, you can see Jonah went down to Joppa, down to the ship, down in the ship, down in the fish. Down, 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 down. Here we go. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, circle that. But you. It's my, it's my sixth point this morning. We've got to be thankful for but you moments. But you moments when God steps in to save us. Jonah said, I was going down, but you brought me up. Sin always takes us down. Always, God always lifts us up. This is who God is. In fact, I want you to write it into your notes. God's the hero of the story. Jonah's not the hero of the story. I'm sure you get that. Jonah's not the hero of this story. God's the hero of the story. The story isn't about a fish. Mentioned four times. God mentioned 40 times. The story's about God. God's the hero of our story. God steps in to save Jonah when Jonah couldn't save himself. Here we go. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's a great verse right there. That's a really good verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Do you know why? 
Because every sin comes with destructive forces in our life. They destroy us. When we hang on to our sin, we forfeit the grace that God wants to pour into our lives. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Oh God, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. I'll do anything. Don't let me die in this fish. There's only two ways out of a fish. Please let him vomit. (laughs) Jonah says, I I vowed. I vowed to God. What I vowed I will make good. And then this great statement, salvation comes from the Lord. Yes, it does. God's the hero of the story. Every person in this room who finally understood you were a sinner on your way to hell, you understand that salvation comes from the Lord. You understood it and you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you and be your Savior and Lord. For every person that's done that, God's the hero of your story. And when we sin this week and we go back to God for forgiveness, He's the hero of our story. He'll forgive you this week even if you've done this thing before. Honesty quiz. How many of you have ever sinned a sin you did once before? You say, once before? How many times do you like forgiving somebody for doing the same thing? You know, we're supposed to do it 70 times 7. Yeah, but how many times do you actually like doing it when somebody like does something, really does something mean to you? How many times do you like forgiving them? You have like a two limit? No, you're saints. I'm the God bad guy. I, I'm telling you, I don't like to do it over and over. But God, he's the hero of the story. The things we could never do, God does do. Here we go, last point today. Here's what he said. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. Here's your last point. Don't forget to remember God. You say, I never forget God. Baloney. I just don't believe it. I just do not believe it. We all get ourselves in positions where we, we, just, we just forget about God. We just forget He's there. That's why we're stressed, 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 and we haven't even prayed yet. Anybody do that? Where praying is the last thing you do instead of the first thing you do? You know why that happens, right? Because we forgot God was here. It's like the disciples in the boat when they're scared they're going to drown, and Jesus is in the boat. Is the boat going down? When Jesus is in the boat, the boat's not going down. Jesus, wake up, wake up, we're going to drown. He goes, what's your problem? We're not going to drown. I'm in the boat. We can't forget God. So when your life's a mess, and some people, this week, tough week, somebody told me this morning they had five funerals this week. That's a bad week. On your bad weeks, you can't forget to remember God. Say, what do you have to remember? Oh, come on. That God's right there. He's there. And this, this is the God that made the world. And he cares about us individually. We have to remember that. We have to remind ourselves of this, that God cares about us. And even when we've made a mess again, that God's patiently forgiving, slow to anger, and abounding in love and forgiveness. 
We have to remember. We have to call it to mind. And if nothing else, we have to remember this, that God is for us. He's not trying to make our life difficult. He's in our corner. So let's all do this. You turn to your neighbor and you say, God is for us. If you're sitting here and your life's a mess, you need to reach out to the hero of the story. Don't try to do your story on your own. When Jonah tried to do his story on his own, he went down, 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 down. He didn't start going up till he went to the hero of the story. That hero is still active today. And we need to remember it. Let's stand together. Father, help us remember who you are. That you're the God who should be feared, but you're also the God who's for us. Father, help us keep that in balance. That you're the God who should be feared. And you're still the God who is for us. So Father, in the mess, in the distress, in the anxiety, help us turn to you. And remember who you are. Father, I pray that you'll draw us to yourself. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.